Auto One Podcast Network. You're listening to Creative Writing, the motorcycle podcast so bad we received an ASBO in Wales. We've been voted best motorcycle podcast five times by David Caruso impersonators across the globe. Check us out on patreon.com forward slash creative writing to find out how you can support the show. All right. With no further ado, let's get into this week's topics, this week's shows, this week's arresting conversations. Uh, hell, I'm out of here. Who am I fooling? Nobody. You are not fooling nobody. Hey, everybody. This is Junkie, and I'm coming to you on a... Uh, uh, recording device that i don't normally use i am not uh, in the studio right now i am just uh, using a, a spare microphone so i hope everything's coming across okay it might sound a little different had to pot it up a little bit um so that's the first thing i want to get out of the way if i sound different it's only going to be for a little bit uh and we have a co-host on this week's show so don't worry it's not just gonna be me blabbing um so before we get into that i wanted to mention uh a week ago today, uh, we lost a legend in the motorcycle world, in the motorcycle community, um, and that is Preston Petty. And so last weekend, when he when I learned that he had passed, I uh, I posted something on Instagram, but it, it doesn't do, didn't do him you know the justice that he deserves. So I thought I'd just take a quick blurb here. We're going to be talking about um, some historical things today, so I thought I'd do a quick historical blurb about one of the true, true legends uh, in the motorcycle community that a lot of people didn't even know existed. Um, He reminds me a lot of creative writers, uh, you know, people that listen and appear on this show because he did things, uh, but if you don't know who they are, you know, it's not like uh, racers or something like that or or personalities, you know, uh, that have like a big, huge television presence or like uh, get, you know, something some huge following somehow. Preston Petty was very, very, you you don't understand that, do you, dog? This means quiet. Preston Petty was a very reclusive guy. Um, Tried to get him on the show and uh, reached out, you know, friend requests through social media and things like that. Didn't know how else to get a hold of him, (laughs) you know? So uh, he, um, make a long story short, he was a racer he raced scrambles and what, what would eventually become motocross back in the 50s 60s and 70s um i think i read somewhere that his first bike was an aerial colt um and that he and he raced you know everything from hondas and uh probably everything in between in these uh what we would probably have called scrambles uh back in the day desert racing and, and off-road racing and now they call you know uh proper motocross what, what eventually evolved into motocross um, and back then you would uh, take the fenders off of your motorcycles because they were metal so a lot of motorcycles that ran with fenders would have them crack over time and if you've had anything ever have a stre- stress crack develop from vibrations you know uh, what it looks like well imagine riding with metal fenders off road and that's just how they did you know metal metal fenders were um, the standard and so he was a computer nerd, Preston, and he was in computers, uh, I want to say like late 70s, early 80s. Um, and he basically uh, lived and died computer. I think that's what he did up until his death recently was uh, mess around with his computer programs and, and programming uh, several different things for different motorcycle manufacturers. So a computer guy 
and a trash can. What do they have in common? <laughs> well, I believe it was a trash can or some or, or uh, some sort of rubber bucket that he had uh, or a plastic bucket. Um, and he thought that the plastic looked good enough to maybe form a motor uh, fender out of for his motorcycle. So he did that. And I believe because of, you know, Tupperware and Rubbermaid and all these corporations that have been around for quite a while, uh, there wasn't a real uh, way to make plastics without costing a lot of money. So he's a computer guy. He learned, he learned plastic formulations, taught self-taught and he was self-taught, uh, um, injection molding. And he went and started making his own plastic fenders and they got poo pooed at first. Uh, as far as I know, you know, people, people thought they were, were ridiculous, but having a metal fender bend or stab into your tire and pop it, or bend up and cut you or something like that, um, or just stress crack all the time and had to be replaced all the time, people started to catch on and think, hey, maybe this guy's not so crazy. So not only uh, was it, um, uh, what's it called? Not only did he make plastics, he, he started to develop, he, he raced, he, like I said, he was a racer from the 50s through the 70s, and he raced in the ISDE, he raced desert races, he raced... Um, you know, when, when motocross wasn't even motocross yet and you're kind of just converting street bikes, this is when he was in his prime. And so he uh, developed all this cool stuff for it. Um, and if you know anything about desert racing and, and uh, trials and things like that, there's a big number plate on the bikes too. So he invented that. He invented the fenders. Uh, you know, he made a few other motorcycle components. Um, and more more importantly than that, he made like a an uh, you know, if you know what an Earl's style fork is, he made something that was not an Earl's fork, but it was a no dive fork. Everyone, everyone uh, says the Earl's are so great because they are a no dive. Well, he made something a similar sort of front end that was a no dive front end. Um, and I'm not 100% sure I read somewhere about a start gate. So maybe he invented the the uh, motocross start gates. Who knows? But he, he was just one of the most fabulous guys. Um, the first time I ever saw Preston race was when he was in his 70s. He came out to one of the Ivy League flat track events at Del Mar and was racing a zero out there. And then he would show up once in a while with that thing, trying to tweak it. And he was trying to get the, uh, the torque you know, being a, being a leading edge guy, you know, back in computers, back into the seventies and eighties and, and being a person that does stuff his way, he was really trying to take that, um, electric platform and make it uh, effective and competitive. And he actually was banging bars with people a quarter of his age. He was 75 when I saw him race for Pete's sake. And, uh, yeah, he's banging bars with people a quarter of his age and he was winning, you know, it was so crazy to see him in his little blue coveralls out there, uh, just banging into kids and, and, and people riding that were half his age in like the uh, run what you brung class, some bigger, crazier bikes, dirt bikes and, and, and putting down laps and winning. So, um, we really, uh, you know, his, he died, he died, uh, not very rich. He lived doing computer stuff out in a trailer in Pacoima because of, you know, he lived, he lived motorcycles, breathed motorcycles and computers and, um, didn't make very much money off of it because of the way, uh, the companies that he owned back in the eighties were handled. And so, yeah, he was just, uh, you probably have never heard of him as a result. He's just um, a living, he was a literal living legend. And uh, I just want to say Godspeed Preston before we get into uh, this episode of Crate Writing. 
All right, enough blabbing from me. Let's uh, take a little quick break. We'll get into the show. just around the corner and you know what that means it's time to head down to Braun Towers Hughes Motorsports Fun Palace and refurbish secondhand medical equipment resellers. looking for some great gift ideas for the holiday season Braun Towers has you covered surprise that special family member with one of these great deals a 2016 Africa Twin $32,000 a 2009 Yamaha Rhino $8,000 2001 CRF450R $7,500 a 2020 Husqvarna 500EXC, $16,000. Uh, oops, the decimal place was in the wrong spot. $160,000. A 2019 Kawasaki Ninja H2 Carbon, call for pricing. We have the lowest prices in Minnesota guaranteed. Braun Towers. We put the fun in. Fun to shop at Braun Towers for great holiday specials. Braun Towers. Braun Towers, on the corner of filth and name. For over 131 years and several months, Clobman's has been supplying quality pickles to motorcyclists the world over. Legendary icons such as Sylvester Roper, Oscar Hedstrom, William Harley, Betsy Stringfield, Frank Willoughby Cotton, Evil Knievel, Nikki Hayden, and Sachiro Honda have all quenched their desires for a thick, juicy pickle sliding across their greasy, willing lips with none other than a fine specimen from Clopman's. Join the Hall of Fame, win your first race, impress the judges, put a Clopman's in your mouth, and a championship trophy on your shelf. Clopman's, not for dreamers, for doers. Clopman's, the only pickle for motorcyclists. All right, everybody. It's your favorite time of the show, the time where um, I quit talking. <laughs> That's everybody's favorite time of the show. But yeah, we have a, a special guest on, on this week's show and uh, maybe more than a guest, actually. Well, we should uh, we should keep that for, for later. But we actually might not go on for 47 hours because it isn't Chris Wiggins. So uh, on this week's show... Um, we have a, our, a, an international correspondent here to help us with some of the, the crazy topics and things that we've been wondering about for the last uh, couple of years about how things work um, in another country. So why don't you go? I'll just quit blabbing. You go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us where you're coming from. All right. Well, thanks. So uh, keep it under 47 hours. That's the goal, I guess. All right, easy day. <laughs> yeah. So this is Matt, and I'm uh, I'm coming at you guys from the lovely town of Yokosuka, Japan. Yokosuka, Japan's in the Bay of Tokyo area of Japan. I'm about uh, 30 miles south of Tokyo. And nice. It's a lovely 35 degree day today. Sweet. Uh, is that is I, that Celsius or Fahrenheit? That is Fahrenheit. I, wow. I have mentally switched to Celsius, so that's uh, roughly three degrees. Right. Two yeah. Degrees, three degrees Celsius. Yeah. yeah. Man, that's crazy. I. Uh, you know, whenever I think of Japan, I, I mean, you, you know, it snows and you know that it's pretty much the same, uh, weather, just different time of year. So I, I'm actually not sure. Is it your end of your winter right now? Are you guys heading into spring or are you just getting into winter? Yeah, we're heading into spring. So we're, yeah. we're, so Tokyo is roughly at the same, uh, latitude as LA. Oh, really? Okay, cool. Yeah. 
yeah, the weather's the weather's the weather's much more variable than LA, and uh, we get we get colder winters and hotter, humid, more humid summers. Right. Yeah. So it, ha- it hasn't snowed here yet, but I'm sure it's snowed in <laughs> Tokyo. So. We had yeah, it was two weeks ago. We had a pretty heavy duty snowstorm. Usually when it snows here, you know the the snow floats down to about your eyeballs and then it dissipates. Yeah. But we actually had. I mean, I had to drive the Cub home in two inches of snow. Dang. Um, it was it was pretty funny. It was uh, it was it was you know equal parts tense and equal parts interesting. Right. Uh, uh, and yeah, not as fun as those people in Wisconsin make it look, you know. Um, hey, speaking of the Cub, uh, you know, there's been a lot of uh, debate with this new Honda Navi now coming to the States. It's been in India for a while. It's been in Mexico for quite a bit. Um, still a worldwide bike, but not as global as the Cub. And and I love uh, your Cub. I, I want to talk to you about it. And all these... Uh, other motorcycle shows i love you know everybody gets their information off of wikipedia and uh websites that you know we have access to and that we can read right so we actually have someone there in japan now uh who has a cub and i'm guessing that it was made nearby yes it was yes i actually have a domestic model cub nice (laughs) um yeah and it's it's pretty crazy so you know i got here and uh i I was all about i've been all about japanese bikes uh really since i started riding you know um never really been a harley guy uh i've got harleys in my family and my family history there's actually a pretty good family history with my dad and harleys and 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 uh courtroom custody hearings and stuff like that but that's that's for another show um but I've always been into Japanese bikes. And when I got here, I just, I really fell in love with the, with the dorky little cub. Um, it's such a fun little bike for a lot of reasons. And, uh, once I started really getting into it, uh, man, I was, I just, I really fell in love not only with the bike itself, but with the design and the engineering thought process behind it. Uh, mine is a 2005 model. Uh, the 2005 model was still made, uh, in, a Japanese domestic factory. Uh, nowadays, the ones that are coming out, they're they're made overseas. I don't think Honda makes makes the Cub here in Japan anymore. Most of them are mm. are using the kind of the international platform that they developed yeah. uh, a few years ago, probably right. uh, ten years ago or so. Yeah, and a lot of lot of CBR like three hundreds and some of the one tens like Groms and stuff. Most of them come out of Thailand now. Yeah, Thailand's a big one. And then uh, as 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 I was doing my research, um, you know, getting a little more into it, stuff that I didn't already know, Indonesia, Indonesia mm. is is one of the one of the big plants that Honda has for right. Cub and Cub Cub like. Uh, cub-like bikes that I'll yeah. have to say. Right. But mine, yeah. mine is a 2005, is a Japanese domestic model. And at the time this 2005 was made, it was still being made in the, the, the kind of the traditional style where it's got the, the solid tubular underbone, but then it's got the stamped steel uh, welded body. The newer ones, uh, the ones you see like the, uh, the Hunter Cub um, and the, the actual, the new Super Cub, those are again, like I said, they're very much made in the international thing. Those actually have more traditional tubular frame with plastic bodywork on top. Right. With that plastic bodywork being shaped to very much resemble the older Cubs. Right. Yeah. Those um, very much so are a, a modular um, 
right uh, emulation so, uh, mm-hmm. if you want to call it that they're they're more of a they're I wouldn't say they're like the a grom body because they definitely do have a different a little bit different frame where the motor goes but yeah they're they are definitely not the uh the stamp frame um it's crazy that they're making it in 2005 still like that that's that's awesome and when did they switch from I know you know the the new cub is 125 but when did they mm-hmm. switch cuz for forever it was a 50cc you know yeah and mine is a 50cc so it's uh it would be the the mo- the which we'll call it the model designation is a C50 S5 right um, and the C is just Honda's been using C in the Super Cub name since they came out 50 is for 50 cc's S means it was a 2005 or 2006 model uh, they use that that letter designation for those two years um crazy and then like a T would be a 2007 yeah, um, it's right around that 2007 to nine model. They started bringing in the tie cub. So you'll hear people here, the the oldsters talk about tie cubs and how tie cubs aren't as good as the 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 Japanese local market cubs. Gotcha. Um, and it was right about the time that they switched from carburetors over to fuel injection, and then they also switched the clutch design to hmm. a twin clutch model. Uh, and then the the current Super Cub and Hunter Cub and the Grom engine is based on an an iteration of the twin clutch design. Right. Okay. So yeah, uh, those right. That was the year two thousand five slash six is the year that um, a lot of things that were carbureted. Uh, there might have been like a fuel injection model, you know, or uh, some some things were fuel injected. But yeah, uh, uh, I want to say 2006-ish is the year that a lot of stuff. Uh, it might have been a Euro year. I think Euro. I think emissions, um, 2006 emissions standards mm, actually could have um, been one of the Euro iterations. Yeah, it's when I remember all the Harleys were optional in fuel injection and carburation in 2006. Same with a lot of the. Um, Japanese bikes, and then suddenly in that t- in 2006, you're seeing after that everything was uh, fuel injected. So that could be, yeah, they might have made a, a few changes. Um, what is the twin clutch thing? What is that? Is that like a mechanism? Yeah. So the original Cubs, um, you know, it's part of my little history lesson here. But uh, the original Cubs, so uh, Soichiro Honda came up with you know a very strict set of design criteria for his team. And one of the things that was with it is that he wanted it to be that kind of everybody bike. Um, he was touring around Germany and England and Italy, uh, you know, five or six years after the end of World War II. And he was looking, you know, he went down to Italy and checked out Vespa. He went to Germany and checked out, uh, you know, all the different things that they were doing there. He went to England, checked out there. Right. And really, Soichiro Honda, he wanted to be, he wanted to race. He wanted to win the, the, the Isle of Man TT. That's what he was doing. But he had his one of his business partners who was kind of more the the nuts and bolts finance guy was like, hey, dude, we need to make this everybody bike. I mean, look at all around. Look at all, you know, Germany, uh, Germany, uh, you know, England, Italy, all these big countries ravaged by the war, just like Japan was still trying to rebuild and they needed to get their population moving. So he came up with the, you know, that then they kind of came up with the Super Cup or right. the Honda, you know, the Cub. Is that the, the uh, is that guy Fujisawa the guy who is his partner? Yes, Fujisawa. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'd managing seen that name. director Fujisawa. Got you. I'd seen that name pop up a couple of times when uh, I was looking at some 
timelines of the the cub development and and yeah they apparently went to visit the Kreidler and Lambretta factories and mm-hmm. and things like that and uh, you know it's one of those names that you never hear of he's a hidden he's a one of the uh, super important fella I'm guessing but just not not Mr. Honda so <laughs> you know yeah I mean literally if it wasn't for him kind of you know wringing his boss's arm um, to get him to make this model they wouldn't have made it. And, and I don't, you know, and Honda may not have been the powerhouse that it was today with the motorcycles because it's been such a, you know, it's been such a moneymaker for them. Right. Uh, yeah. You know what? I mean, you probably have a statistic uh, better than I do, but I, I, globally, I believe it is the uh, most sold um, two-wheeler for Honda. Yes, it is. 2017 yeah. Super Cub sales hit 100 million all over right. the world. So in God. 59 years, so the Super Cub was released in Japan in the Japanese domestic market in 1958. So in 2017, 59 years after they released that first one, they had already sold 100 million units. Yeah, and now, that's insane. That no, It is crazy. And it's not and it, it's not just Japanese demar- domestic market sales. Um, it is kind of worldwide all of their plants put together and and i call it all of the cubs and the cub like bikes that they have because if you start looking at some of the in the 90s the uh the southeast asia market they really wanted they really wanted to diverge away from that classic club cub look that you see all the time like mine gotcha. looks like that so yeah. when you look at some of these indonesian and malaysian and singapore cubs they look more like the plastic scooters uh, but then when you look closely, you could see, oh, okay, yep, they still do have the the foot shifter. Oh, they, you know, they still have the 17 inch wheels. Um, right. Those did are they, all things that 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 they wanted to use. And, and they did they still they still have the uh, C in the model designations of those two, so you can you can tell even if they try to hide it with bodywork, you can still see what uh, that it's a C whatever you know C 100 or something like that. I think so. Yeah. So they you know it's still the even though they had the fancy body work, it was still an underbone type of bike yeah, with, crazy. with different things on it. Um, so the the dual clutch, the the original ones, one of the original things that came out was the ability to use it one handed, and the ability to for anybody to be able to ride it. And so, what is one of the biggest impediments to a new person getting to ride a motorcycle? It's learning the dance between you know gas brake clutch. And, and yeah. shifter, Shifting, you know, yeah. And um, so he said, we need to have it operate one-handed, and, and that was one of the most difficult things for the design team to came out with. And the reason why the the kind of the second generations they're called dual clutch is because on the the one like I have, it is both the the clutch is both a centrifugal clutch and a um. So it's a centrifugal clutch, so I can stop in any gear, and if I come to a complete stop, the bike will sit there and idle. Doesn't matter yeah. whatever gear. Um, but it's also an automatic shifting clutch. So okay. when you when I press on the pedal, there's a screw mechanism that um, you know separates the clutch plates, allows it to shift in gear, and then when I let go of the of the pedal, it reengages. Right. So when they went to the dual clutch ones, they separated the centrifugal clutch part and the regular clutch part, and they still gotcha. kept the uh, still kept the ability to shift while it was you know shift without using an actual clutch lever. They just kind of separated those two functions. Mine gotcha. is it's all one unit. 
comes straight out of the engine. There's one shaft that comes out of the engine. Then you have this mechanism, and then it goes into the you know to the main kind of main gear that turns the uh, the transmission input shaft. And then they separated those two parts on the other one. Crazy. It's like having a recluse or something. You know, like it it won't stall on you. And <laughs> at oh, least no, it's it's so cool because I I now I I like to come to a stop. Uh, by downshifting, I just you know it's it's kind of a standard thing. Yeah. Um, but you know I see other people and you you literally can just haul on the brakes, any gear, come to a complete stop, and then shit sit there. Oops, a little Freudian slip there. Um, you, <laughs> you can could sit, shit there if you want. Yeah, you could yeah. if you wanted to. Um, you know, not it's very much frowned upon in public in Japan. But you yeah, know, if you're drunk, you get away with a lot. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> You know, and then I watch other people and they, they do the downshifts. Uh, yeah. And the, the really cool thing is that it's a rotary transmission. So it, it's one of the cool design elements is that the actual pedal is a heel toe shifter. Okay. And the reason they wanted heel toe shifter is because biz- they wanted to be able to have businessmen ride it with their business shoes and not scratch their business shoes. That's right. You're going to get the top all uh, marred up if you have yeah. to put your toe under there to shift up. Yeah. You know, usually for the bike, you know, a motorcyclist, right? That's like that's like a sign of pride, right? You can you can look down at somebody's left foot and you, you look down and you go, hey, you ride? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Man, you know, and then you get that conversation going. But, you know, for a Tokyo business guy in the 1960s, that that's, you know, that's no, no, no. You need to have those fancy leather Italian shoes looking sweet. So right. they came with the heel toe shifter. So it's toe shifting down on the pedal shifts up a gear. Heel shifting back on the pedal shifts down a gear. Mm, interesting. Weird. Yeah. And you can go through the entire thing. Like if I'm sitting there at a stop, I can downshift to first, downshift to second, downshift to third, downshift to neutral, downshift to first, downshift, 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 down. Or I can heel shift, heel, heel, heel. And I could go through the whole transmission. The only thing you can't do is if you're actually driving and you're in third gear, you can't just suddenly click it down into neutral. Right, right. It won't let you do that. You can click it down into second. It just won't let you back click it into neutral. Gotcha. Um, But if you press on the pedal... It's just like a clutch lever. You feel the disengagement without it actually engaging into the next gear. So you could feel it where it separates the plates and the engine will start spinning. And, and you could kind of coast in a little bit of, you know, almost like like pulling in the clutch lever and, and right. coasting somewhere. That is so, so it's, crazy. It, it's, been, it's been hilarious to learn how to ride. It's very disconcerting when you first ride it because, you know, there's no clutch lever and, and the shift pattern is backwards. Um and then, uh, like I, I've taken to at lunchtime, I'll maybe go on a different side of the base, and I'll, I'll run over to the base post office on the opposite side of the base. And there's a there's a, um, a what you call a big open area in between. And I'll sit there and I'll, I'll try to do um, you know some really tight figure eights. Like I want to try to see how tight I can get these figure eights. Yeah. And um, trying to slip the clutch and drag the brake and, and modulate the the throttle. Uh, without having that hand clutch and how how really being able to right. do the friction zones been it's it it's a challenge it really is a challenge right uh, it's funny it's it's a new challenge one that's not you know trying to make it easier to ride but it makes it easy harder to do low maneuver where you rely on that clutch uh, friction zone you know yeah. and for the base uh, you know we forgot to mention that you're over there. Um, 
Thank you for your service. You're over there as uh, with the, with the Navy, so I hear. And you're not. Yep. He's not the cook. So Steven Seagal is the cook. Uh, Matt is not the cook. <laughs> I am not the cook. No, I am not the cook. Uh, uh, I haven't yet run into Steven Seagal, yeah. um, but I, I hear he makes a he makes a mean uh, shortcake. Right. That's from, from what I and a short kick if you've seen him lately. A short kick and a short kick. Yes. Yeah. The short yeah. kick using the short kick. That's right. He'll give you a short kick right in the short cake. Um, what uh, you know, my friend had a uh, C seventy, and I, I remember riding that around. It, it didn't have the heel shift. It was basically a tra- what we call a trail seventy in the mm, I don't know yep. in the states, but yeah, I remember that thing was a four speed. I had so much fun on that. You know, he's riding around on a CB seven fifty or his Norton or whatever, and he's and I'm riding around on this thing following him, and it was a blast. And yeah, it was kind of trippy that there's no clutch lever, um, and you just forget. It's so much fun to ride around that you forget. You know. After after a little bit, how much uh, what you're missing out on, and I don't remember when I when you, when you come to a stop, you can theoretically take off in a higher gear, but it, if I remember correctly, you do have to shift down into first to make it a smooth transition, right? I mean, there's only so yeah, much that, that does for you. You know, there's there the gauges are rudimentary. There's a speedometer, and it's got a single a single turn signal blinker light, uh, and it's got a neutral lamp. Uh, and then it's got an overspeed lamp, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but there's nothing else. There's no gear indicator. So I've done it where you know I've come to a, a quick stop and I didn't quite get it down into first. And then you know I I twist the throttle, and you know I'm American sized. I'm I'm not what I would call <laughs> you know I'm not I'm not a big dude. Um, I'm about six one in that two hundred pound range, riding a fifty cc motorcycle uh, that one of the the design factors, like I talked about before, was that it needed to make four horsepower. And uh, I'm probably pushing about two and a half ponies right now. So if I I try to take off in third gear, it's a no-go. Second gear, I can do it, but it's enough to let me know that I can move enough that I'm not going to get, you know, rear-ended right away. Um, but it, 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 I immediately know that I've, I've messed up. I punch it down a gear and I take off. First gear is actually pretty good. It, it accelerates me pretty fast. Yeah. Uh, second gear is a really good gear. It's like a nice spread. Third gear is a cruising gear and, uh, you know, it doesn't have much torque. Usually when I, when I take off from a stop, I use my left foot and I push it on the ground to give myself like an, you know, I want to give myself an extra half foot pound of torque just by, uh, literally using my foot and right. pushing. Um, just to make sure that I'm not uh, I'm not impeding any progress. Some of the uh, some of the guys who uh, commute on scooters around here, they uh, they 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 don't take any quarter. They um, they want you yeah. to get out of the way. So yeah. Uh, well, right when you when you have to when you when you rely on momentum, right? And uh, <laughs> it is right. definitely a momentum bike. I, <laughs> you know, I, I yeah, it is all about the momentum. I am not running in any straight line contests, but yeah. uh, I can maneuver pretty dang quick. And I have seen a spate of uh, off-road cubs online recently, and I don't know if they're trying to market the hunter cub here, but I've seen a bunch of uh, off-road cubs. Like I said, my friend's Trail 70 was already kind of off-road. I, I, bear, I can vaguely remember ads for the C90 and like a CT110 or something that was, it looked like it looked like a, what would you consider like a down, 
uh, tube frame, like moped sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But the the ad here in the States had like a deer on like the, the back rack and the dude had a gun like over his shoulder smiling. <laughs> and you were expected to kind of use these how people use utility quads nowadays, you know. And so uh, they seem pretty versatile. The ones that I've seen, like I said, have been kitted out for off-road. I think you've done something similar to yours, right? Yeah, so... Uh- Earlier last year, so early 2020, I, uh, I I wanted to have some fun, and I was just digging around the internet, and I found a uh, a riding area that wasn't too far from me. It's about an hour's drive. So, uh, you know, the town I live in, Yokosuka, it's part of the kind of the greater Tokyo sprawl. So when you watch those sci-fi movies and they talk about Neo Tokyo and it's just, you know, hundreds of square miles of, of city, it really is like that. There is continual city between my house and the the sky rises of Tokyo. So finding a riding area in the midst of all that, and not just like a little tiny riding area, like a little posted stamp area, but an actual, I, I calculate about a hundred acre riding area oh, wow. in the midst of this urban area was you know was amazing so i did a bunch of research searching all around the internet look looking for stuff figured it out it's like okay i want to do this so uh amazon to the rescue you know i my wife uh oh we have we obviously we have an amazon account an amazon prime account in the states we also have an amazon prime account in japan which is super sweet because the stuff you could find there is 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 awesome yeah. And I could get it straight to my door instead of having to get it through the military postal system. Right. Um, and I'll tell you, Amazon Prime in Japan is way faster than Amazon Prime in America. <laughs> I've literally ordered stuff in the afternoon and got it that evening. Right. Um, or you order it and as you're pressing hang up on the phone, like the door, knocking on the door. Like literally there's a dude there. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy, right? So it's Japan. People heard all kinds of rumors about Japan. So uh, I ordered some parts and... It was going to be two separate orders. One was going to come at night, and or one was going to come later that night, and one was going to come in the afternoon. The guy who delivered it gave me them both and then apologized for bringing the second one two hours early. Too early, right? Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, he brought it. He's like, oh, I'm sorry for bringing this too early. You know, it, it, you wow. know back in the States, you're just like, you know, the guy steps on it, kicks it out of his truck right. to your front porch, and then he's like, yeah, you got it. So what do you want? You know? Yeah. Uh, but here, the guy apologized for being too early. Yeah, uh, it's but, almost like being in a in a crazy like a super futuristic version of Canada or something, you know. There, there's times when it is. There's times when it is. <laughs> uh, but hey, yeah. So I I, I threw on some uh, off road tires. I stripped right. the cub down, and I I just took this thing out there and I beat it down, and I, I treated it like a trials bike, and I treated it like a like an off road bike. I'll tell you what, that little fifty cc sucker, lean back, you know, stand on the pegs, lean back pin it in second gear i could hit baby head rocks like like no other no kidding what size tires are on that 17s no kidding oh yeah, my god so again, yeah. back to the design elements the roads in japan there were still there was there was a lot of crappy roads there was a lot of country roads that weren't well maintained so so Chiro honda said we need to have 17 inch tires on these because the you know in order to make that smooth riding he he was over there in europe and he saw how crappy the eight and ten inch tires work on bumpy roads and he said nope we need to have 17s now the crazy thing is back then back in the the early or the late 50s there weren't a lot of 17 inch tire manufacturers out there so he commissioned a local company to develop 17 inch tires for the super cub so they're like set two two and a quarter by 17 
Nice. Wow. Yeah. Same size front and rear. Nice. Yeah. Uh, he's he was like the Cameron Crow filming Avatar, creating these new uh, technologies in order to be able to to use them on his stuff. So. So two other innovations, if you want to get into some really cool innovations, the Cub was the first mass use of large scale use of plastic in mm. a motorcycle. So the leg shield, that, that the ubiquitous leg shield that the Cub has, right? It was another design element. They wanted to be able to protect a lady's dress from, uh, from puddles that are happening in the road. Right. Um, so that is all plastic. Uh, you know, a lot of times back in the in the late 50s, everything was made out of fiberglass, but uh, that you just couldn't mass produce those fiberglass. They were expected to sell 30,000 units a month when they came out with this. Wow. And so that you can't make, you can't lay up that much fiberglass that fast. So they needed to be plastic. Um, he, he outsourced it to a couple of factories. They couldn't, they didn't make the quality goals that he wanted with, with the molds. So Honda actually machined their own molds and took it on themselves. Gosh, so the dang. leg shield and the front fender are both fully plastic on this thing. Wow. So it was kind of another industry first. And have they been like that since uh, 58 or whatever year this came out? Was that yep. like one of the main things? Crazy. Because I know, you know, a lot of the old vintage Vespas and stuff are stamped steel, you know, mm -hmm. or. Yeah, so like that's the full-bodied steel. But yeah, mm -hmm. so the rest of the Cub is is steel, but the, the front fender and the uh, the leg shield are all plastic. That is crazy. That's awesome, man. Like, and it's super, super innovative. Um, what else? You got some other some other cool numbers and, and cool facts about this yeah, thing? Because so this is one of those, like, unsung heroes. I feel like when the Volkswagen Beetle got, like, a, a million produced, like, it was, like, the top-selling car, right? And uh, there was, I, I know it dwarfs what these scooters um, are doing because these are worldwide, where the you know, a car is going to only be sold. Um, I mean, it was worldwide too, but not as many people snatching them up as scooters. You know what I'm saying? So this yeah, is, so, I, I mean, I when you like come into, when you, when you start talking about, you know, world vehicles and, and stuff like that, obviously you got the model T right, right up there. Right. Henry Ford is just punting those out left, right, center. The Volkswagen bug, another one, the, uh, the, which, which one, the French car, the, the two CV. Oh yeah. The Citroen. Yeah. I the think Citroen, it's yeah, the two CV, another classic out there. Uh, Super Cubs right up there. But Super Cubs have topped them all. I mean, 100 million. Uh, it's going to be a, a lot before somebody can can match that. Right. Um, so a couple other fun things. Uh, you know, so 1952 is when Super Cub first became a moniker on a bike. And it was the Super Cub F. And it wasn't even a bike. It wasn't even a motorcycle. It was a two-stroke engine, a 50cc two-stroke engine, uh, and it was sold as a kit to attach to a bicycle. Right. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So that's when they first use it. Um, but you know, it was it was it required somebody to have a bicycle. It required somebody to have the mechanical ability to attach it. It was noisy. Uh, yeah. And and I think it's pretty well known. So Ichiro Honda hated the sound of two strokes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he was not a two-stroke fan, whereas you know Suzuki was Suzuki was like two strokes for life, right? But uh, right, yeah. But but Honda didn't like him. He eventually relented, of course. But for this one, you know, he the the Super Cub F engine only made I think like three-quarter horsepower, and so when he said, "I want the new engine to be four-stroke and make four horsepower," you know, that's yeah, four horsepower. It's nothing, but when you're talking about more than 400% power increase in right. the same CC engine. Right. Um, you know, the, 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 
very first stock Volkswagen only had 26 horsepower and you're moving a thing, something that's like four times or eight times the size of a cub, you know what I'm saying? And, yeah. uh, they, people just, we just weren't horsepower freaks back then, you know? And, and, uh, um, I'll tell you what, that four horsepower gets me around the city pretty quick. Yeah. You know I mean? A cowboy's one horse got them one around horse. pretty, pretty right. well. So, I mean, imagine four, you know, you're, you're technically riding the power of four. That's pretty good. Yeah. So let's see, 1958 is when uh, when they started releasing the, the Super Cub into the Japanese market. 1962 is when they came to, uh, Honda came to LA and uh, started opening a store downtown LA. Uh, 1963, they opened their first overseas production plant in Indonesia. And like I said, Indonesia plays a big part of the Super Cub's future. Uh, and then the other kind of date, uh, fun fact date was 2017 where they hit a hundred million cubs. Right. Um, uh, he, the crazy thing about that is I was reading, um, something from a while. It was like a press release that I saw from, uh, like 2008 when they had just hit like 87 million then. And so they like in, in a decade, they, what took them like 50 something, some odd years to do, um, or you know, for I guess forty some odd years to do all of the, they they more than went over that in the next decade. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just so crazy how how exponentially they started to sell um, 20, 20 million more in, in one decade rather than like uh, I mean, if you divide up the decades before that, I mean, it's it's still a lot. But it, you know, to do twenty million in in one single decade is 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 quite a bit. I mean, it's right. just incredible. It's crazy, and it and like I said, it's it's the way they designed it. You know, you got two kind of stamped steel panels and a and a main undertube, so you just start you know throwing flat sheets of steel into a big twenty ton press and start punching those puppies out. You know, slap them together, a few spot welds, throw a tube in it, ring weld, and you're pretty much done. You know, yeah. you can just see where they where it wouldn't. I, I could imagine that that you know their their frame team was pumping out just hundreds of these. Yeah. Yeah, just sitting there day and night, just ching ching. Yeah. Um, and the the motors. I mean, obviously the motors have changed over the years, but have they always been a overhead valve? Because you know, back in the fifties, like side valve and push rod was really popular for even for scooters. I'm pretty sure. Um, and two stroke was crazy. It's crazy they're doing a four stroke because two stroke was so um, so popular uh, at the time. And I believe, you know, my friend has a Subaru 360, which is a, a small K car from like 1962 or something. And that thing's powered by a two-stroke 360cc motor um, that Subaru made. And Suzuki had had them at, the, at that time too, I'm pretty sure. And it's like, yeah, two-strokes was a huge, huge thing at this time. I'm really surprised, uh, you know, he stuck with this four-stroke thing. Um and having said that, so so no valves, nothing to worry about on a two-stroke, but these have to have valves and they have to have something. So has it always been like overhead valve? Yep. And It's always been overhead valve on these engines. Crazy. Uh, they did use push rods on some of the first ones, uh, but uh, pretty soon after that, they switched to a, a chain drive. Uh, yeah. So a chain drive overhead cam um, push rod type. Yeah. Or, a, it, you know, uh, overhead valve, overhead cam type of thing. Right, right. Um, you know, the, I, I think to keep costs down, it seems like it'd be cheaper to make a two stroke. You don't have to make all that extra moving parts and figured all of it out, which is just so crazy. Cause that's just Honda to me. They always have gone a little bit above and a little bit beyond what's necessary. Um, whether it is 
good or bad in some cases uh, to make it up to that you know Honda standard that they had. So uh, going back to the the I already forgot the guy's name Fujisawa. Uh, yeah. So I wonder how much he had. I mean, I, I, once Honda said, let's do this, I wonder if he was like, if the two stroke thing was his idea, you know, <laughs> he was like, listen, it'd be way cheaper and uh, faster to make two strokes. But Honda was like, no, you know, it, it's interesting to know how those conversations went. But still, without him, it's it's crazy to think that this might have never got off the ground, you know? Yeah. And, you know, from what I, from what I've read both in English and in Japanese, um, you know, Sushiro Hondo, he, he was a gearhead, you know, through and through to the bone. He wanted to go win races. And, and he did. Like, if you look in the 50s and the 60s, uh, Honda's efforts at the Isle of Man, you can see that they were throwing everything at it. And, and Honda's what Honda's pop are famous for, for trying every single engine configuration known to man and a few others that are probably top secret, not known to man. Except for like, you know, this little cabal inside the company who's got the keys to the safe or something. <laughs> right, right. Um, so yeah, you know, the uh, 50cc overhead valve four-stroke. And I, from what I understand, from what I read, that was Sochita Honda from the very beginning. You know, he did not want to hear two-stroke engines ripping around his neighborhood. He wanted, yeah. he wanted quiet engines. You know, they were marketing these even in the 1960s, even in Japan. So the 1960s in the US and some of the European countries, right? Uh, there was, it was a, it was, it was a, a, an amazing time. Of course, there's a lot of, you know, it's very patriarchal, but you know, in the 1960s in, in Western countries, women were, were becoming more of a, of a powerhouse when it came to, you know, shopping and, and, and there was more companies targeting women in their advertisements. And Japan is, is probably a couple of decades even behind the West when it comes to patriarchal attitudes, even today. Um, so, but in the 1960s, Honda was advertising this to women. They were, they were saying, Hey, you know, ladies, just as easy for you to ride as, as for your husband to ride, get on your cub and, and go shopping and stuff. Like right. That. I know it was, I think it was uh, illegal in Alabama still in 1960 for women to wear pants and ride motorcycles. So I know it took a little bit and that was brave of them to do, uh, market it that way. Yes. Yes. 2013 <laughs> was a good year for Alabama, right? When, yeah. they, <laughs> when they finally got to wear pants and ride yeah, motorcycles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag shout out to all my, uh, relatives in Alabama. Relatives, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still, hey still a, a thing of family contention when you go back for the holidays, right? Right. Well, and they haven't heard Michael Jackson yet. So whenever I go back there and I tell them stories, there's like, what is this mythical person you're talking about? So now he's dead guys. You've, you've missed the whole, uh, missed the whole thing. a whole lifestyle. But, um, yeah, on speaking of, you know, women riding and, and making riding more accessible, I know on the new one, it's got, you know, obviously they moved to fuel injection mm-hmm. um, and it's got like an IMU on it. I mean, it's got ABS and an IMU on the new Cub for Pete's sake. What, uh, what, I mean, that's come a long way since uh, the fifties where when you look at the Harleys, you know, they have barely, uh, you know. I joke around that they barely have, you know, they, they didn't get ABS until 2008. Honda is like, <laughs> well, Honda's got you. like an IMU on their bike now, on their little scooter. All right. So it might not have been a design feature back in the 50s, but my Honda Cub has front wheel ABS because it's literally got a five and a half inch drum <laughs> brake that couldn't lock it up if you tried. <laughs> you haven't uh, done a stoppy on that thing yet, is what you're saying? No. So it's it's weird. The, the suspension, like I said, mine is still in that original style. 2005, they, my Cub still has the leading link front suspension. 
Yeah. It doesn't have telescopic. It was around that 2008, uh, 7, 8, 9 era where they started switching to, to, to fuel injection and the dual clutch that they started adding, uh, you know, standard telescopic forks to right. it. Right. Um, so mine still has a leading link. No and, way. That is so yeah. cool. And it's so much fun. When you jam on the front brakes and it starts to slow down, the, the leading link actually pushes the front tire harder into the pavement. And so... You, like I said, not maybe by intention, but by but by how it actually acts, it pushes harder into the ground as you put on the brakes harder, really keeping it from locking up. Yeah. And, um, and putting the just because I got a big ass, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I can't really get the back end to lock up. I, I have a couple of times uh, in, in some rain, um, you know, and there's a lot of rain here. But uh, yeah, it, it just, it, it's... You, when you look at this motorcycle right now, I, I have it halfway disassembled um, in my driveway just because I, I got bored last weekend and yeah. I, I kind of took it apart because um, I mean it, it's it's literally is as hard as taking apart a child's bicycle. Right. Um, but uh, just when you look at all the little bits and bobs of this thing, you could tell it was made to be. You know, things have you know one or two uses. Things you could tell that there was you could you could see the design language. You could almost see like you know back in the 1950s where somebody had a chalkboard and somebody was writing on the chalkboard. You know, must haves, must be this, must be, and you could almost see those carried out in the you know in the metal on, on yeah. the bike. Rad. Um, Hey, going forward, thinking, knowing what you know now about it, going forward, what would you like to see added uh, to the Super Cubs? And would you like, um, I don't know if you've got a chance to ride one of the new 125 ones, but is there anything uh, that you think is missing or would you like to see them all um, 125s? Do you, do you think the 50 cc's are enough for just cruising around town? Um, you know, what's your input on, on that? I'll send it yeah. straight to Honda, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> I'll put some thought into this. You know, so I, I haven't had a chance to ride any of the 125s. Um, I have had a chance to ride uh, a buddy's. One, one of, there's a, a, a Japanese guy at work. He's a, he's he's my cub buddy. Um, he's got a 110, and uh, so the 110s when they switched over to fuel injection with the dual clutch, they have uh, uh, some 110 cc. So 110 kind of became the default. Um, most common size the 50 was still being made um so they went from 50 they, they added in the 50s and the 110s in the middle there they they did some 60s some 70s some 90s um but now they've kind of settled on the 50s and the 110s and i don't think the 50s are available anywhere else i think all the all the international models are still on that 110 yeah um, yeah so you know mine is fun and awesome but it definitely does run out of steam um and I am really interested in trying the 125s. I, I'm actually very interested in, in possibly picking one up when I get back to the states. Yeah, um, you know those those hunter. I've, I've told the wife, you know, we're gonna, you know, once I retire and, and the kids get out of the house, you know, we're gonna we're gonna buy an RV. We're gonna buy a couple of these, uh, you know, CT 125s, and we're just gonna start driving around the world. You know, nice, man, and, that's... And, and just get out and you know ride these that, little things. That's a dream, and. Um, it sounds like it was pretty easy to modify this. So, uh, you know what I mean? Like the sky's the limit. It sounds like you don't have to keep it a little street, you know, 50 CC. You could turn it into an ADV scooter. It sounds pretty easy, you know? Oh yeah. It's, it's no problem at all. There's, there, there are parts available all over the place, really cheap. 
all kinds of modification parts. Uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the guys, uh, a lot of the modifications you see are just kind of stripping it down a little more. Uh, so a lot of people take off the leg shields and cut them down so it just covers the covers the underbone, covers up some of the wiring. Um, a lot of people mount handlebars, like actually get like tubular handlebars mm, in mm-hmm. place of the uh, in place of the ones that they have. And so they'll put custom handlebars with custom speedos and and, and switch gear. Sick, God, that sounds uh, awesome. Bore uh, up, bore up kits are are huge. Okay, okay. So they offer you know 70, 80, 90, 100. and then even for the one twenty five uh, Cub engines, I've seen two twelve bore up kits for it. So you're talking you know full crank rod, wow, cylinder yeah. cylinder head. Uh, I've even, there's one company and, 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 uh, I've got a little, I I hinted it on my Instagram for the blog. Um, but I have got a kit sitting in my, sitting in my dress or in my closet here that I just waiting for the weather to warm up a little bit, uh, before I slap it on there, um, to get a little extra juice out of this thing. But for the 125, or actually for this, for this, uh, for my engine, my generation engine, they actually have, there's one company that makes a dual overhead cam cylinder head. Oh, you're kidding me. It. Oh my God. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So you should see some of these things that, that guys make. So super cubs are pretty popular. The CT 70. So the CT 70 here in Japan is called the Dax. Okay. And there are guys that modify those six ways from Sunday. Um, just crazy mods. And one of the, the, the kind of like a lot of the style is, is just, you know, go fast parts all right. crammed into it. So it, it, it doesn't really flow. Like, it's not like you don't see like it's nice flow from one day. You'll see hoses and cables and stuff everywhere, but it's, you know, it's, it's just kind of like, look at me, look at all these go fast parts. So you got, they got oil cooler kits. I've seen turbo kits. Uh, like I said, all the different sizes of bore up kits, big carbs, you know, big exhausts, uh, low down kits where guys like to slam them to the ground so that they're even smaller than they Gosh, are. Gosh, dang, crazy. Uh, off-roading kits. Um, my, my buddies, he he rides a CC110. It's called a Cross Cub. So the mm. Cross Cubs have this kind of SUV type look to them. They don't look like a street cub. Not quite a full-on dual sport look, but they definitely have more of that, you know, trail road type look to them. And, right. Uh, he. Uh, what did he do? He he put in like a high flow air filter and a and a exhaust pipe on it, and um, you know his his scoots, man. His yeah, his super fast. Dang. So on that dual overhead cam, I mean, how many valves are in this thing? Or do, or when you get when you go to that one, do they add two? Is there like four valves per? Yeah. So it's a, it's a four now? valve dual overhead oh cam gosh. type of thing. It's just oh crazy. Thing. Yeah. Crazy. Um, yeah. I mean, that sounds uh, that honestly sounds pretty rad. <laughs> it it's sounds fun. like it's yeah. How awesome is that? And uh, any Bosu Zoku Cubs out there that you've seen? There's a there's a few guys that have have kind of done that style. Um, you know, usually there's a lot of they'll they'll kind of half it halfway do it. So they'll throw some some kind of uh, shiny bits on there and uh, in a more almost you know a basically a, a an Amazon open an Amazon muffler that's that's basically just a can stuck onto a an right. empty pipe. Gotcha. Um, so that you can zip around and make a little noise. Nice. Um, 
Yeah. So it pretty, uh, it's the, it, it's, it is, it is, again, it's very much like a VW bug. You know, there's, there's all kinds of stuff out there for it. Yeah. Getting them is cheap. You can, you can do it all in your driveway, which is really important because, so my house here on my neighborhood, I actually have two parking spots, which is almost unheard of, um, in a lot of Japan, actually having two parking spots at your house. Um, and so, you know, some, you know, a lot of these guys, they're, they're pulling it into a little tiny garden area and right, doing right. all these modifications. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, you know, doing, uh, like when I was, when I rebuilt my, um, uh, I had a Datsun 510 that I rebuilt in my bedroom one time. Cause I didn't have a girl, I lived in an apartment and that's sounds like, you know, that's the status quo over there. It sounds like in the big city, you know. Yeah, where- you know, I, I I did the same thing with a, a 73 TX750 when I was going to <laughs> going to university. I, uh, nice. I, I, I was I was yeah, it was parked out in the in the uh, the apartment complex area. And uh, I got to the point where I had I think I had the rear wheel off and the seat off and a bunch of stuff off. And it was up in the apartment as I was working on it. So it was clearly that this motorcycle was not drivable. And yeah. the apartment company had one of those rules, like every vehicle in there has to be drivable. So they right. slapped a big uh, sticker on it saying, if you don't get rid of this, we're going to tow it. So yeah, um, my, mine I, was easy because you shut the hood, you carry the, you know, you unbolt the motor, run it up to the house at night, you know, yeah. dead of mid, dead of night, work on it, bring it back down at night and put it back in, you know, like uh, it was never apparent that the car didn't run. And, and, uh, so, but yeah, um, last question I have regarding this Cubs is, um, they are, you know, they're, they're not a hundred percent scooter. You do, you do shift it and you do, um, you know, they are one twenty fives. there. There's, uh, definitely, uh, less powerful motorcycles out there. Is there a sort of a stigma? Um, I'm probably not in Japan, but I mean, is there like a difference between this considering a motorcycle versus a scooter, depending on the, you know. Like a 50cc motorcycle, most people even would consider it a, a scooter, even if it was a full-on, just shrunk-down motorcycle here. Um, is there like a stigma over there or not really? No, no, not over here. The Super Cub, uh, the Super Cub occupies a special place in the heart of the Japanese people. Nice. Everybody knows what they are. Uh, some of the nicknames are business bike. Um, is 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 what a lot of people do. There are a couple of race series where people race Super Cubs. Li- these little Super Cubs. Um, you know, at go kart tracks. Um, awesome. It's yeah. It's 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 really it really is. It's it's got a special place in the heart of the population. Um, more of this, you don't see a lot of of, of ladies riding super cubs. Uh, it's a lot of guys, mostly older guys, are kind of into the cub. You know, the kids like the kids if they're into bikes or if they're into scooters, they like to mess around with scooters because um, there's a whole you know whole giant population of scooters right i bet i bet um so it's kind of looked at as more of like a kind of like a an old man bike sometimes that's about the only thing but there's no there's no thinking of it as a a a bike or scooter there's no kind of real kind of love hate between scooters and bikes here in japan yeah yeah Um, just because so many small displacement scooters and motorcycles are available yeah. Because of the road laws and the licensing laws and the cost of getting a license and parking. Yeah. Uh, so. so it's not it's not like a you know, you're riding around on a fifty CC. It's like, hey, you've got the you got the old man's bike and that's cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, it is but it's weird though, because so it it's technically a forty nine CC bike, right? It's the Honda it's a fifty CC bike, but you know, it's actually when you do the calculations forty nine CC. Yeah. Um so forty nine CC 
uh, it's weird because the the rules the Navy has for riding motorcycles are are a little different than compared to like riding a motorcycle back in the states. Um, and specifically in the rules, it specifically calls out a you know the definition of a motorcycle is a two wheeled vehicle with the wheels in line and 50 cc's or bigger motor. So I'm like, okay, mm. so this is not technically a motorcycle compared yeah. to you. But I still have to do, I had to jump through all the hoops to get my motorcycle license. Oh, no, no. Yeah, so it's kind of fun there. But no, it, I mean, it is a motorcycle. Uh, The engine is not part of the swing arm. Right, right. The engine is mounted to the frame, and then there's a chain drive to the swing arm. Right, big big different, that's basically the biggest differential and and no belt drive or anything like that. So yeah, I mean, that's Not that I'm against scooters or anything like that. You know, there's there's somebody else on base. Uh, I haven't met the guy yet. Um, but he drives a, a classic uh, vintage steel-bodied hand shifter Vespa. Yeah. And uh, I, I've got a buddy who's in the Navy who's stationed in Italy right now. And I've told him, it's like, hey, dude, find me a Vesta, pack it in your bags when you come home, and I'll pay you for it. Because <laughs> the idea of riding around on a steel-bodied hand shifter Vespa just sounds cool. Yeah. Know? Talking about earlier when you were saying how Honda was trying to make it simple for people. Yeah, the, I've my friend has a um, Lambretta and a Vespa that are both hand shifts. So you pull in the clutch and then rotate the the yeah, grip to man. shift. Oh man, talk about talk about contrived and, and uh, convoluted ways of shifting. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I would really like to get my hands on one of those. I think yeah, those would be just just hella fun. Yeah. Well, hey man, it's been an hour. Thank you for wasting some time with us and going over the history of the Super Cub. And uh, I bet the more and more I see these online, the more I, I was thinking of you and thinking how much fun they look, no matter what the displacement. And it sounds like the possibilities are there if you want to want to go and, and not to keep comparing it to a bug, but you can have a slammed out, you know, street show car, uh, German style with all disc brakes from a Porsche, or it sounds like you can go the Baja bug route and get some old roached out thing and throw some uh, dirt tires and, and a, a backpack full of gasoline and just go find Central Park in your town and rip around. Yeah. Um, More yeah. smiles per mile, man. Hell that's, that's yes. what I like to say. More smiles <laughs> per mile. Life at the speed of Cub. You, you notice so much more when you're only doing uh, 20 miles an hour. Right, right. Honda needs you on their marketing team, but I'm going to put in a put in the, the shout out for that. It's uh, two, two good slogans they're missing out on. Well, That's Matt, right. thanks for hanging out, man. We're, uh, you know, you started to talk about some other stuff that piqued my interest, so we'll have to have you on again and uh, have another no problem, conversation. No problem. Yeah. So, all right, man. Well, thank you. And from a, from a tiny, uh, the, the world's smallest podcast studio in Japan, uh, from the smallest podcast studio here in the States, uh, peace and grease, man. Take it easy. <laughs> All right, bye. Well, check, 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 and what the heck? Does this happen? <laughs> ah, crazy. So listen, uh, thank you, Matt, for coming on. And uh, I told you we could make it an hour. Without, I told you last episode, Wiggins ruins everything. Um, yeah, thanks for hanging out and listening to this hour of creative writing. Well, wait a stinking minute. That was uh, pretty crummy. Now I can turn back on the monitoring and uh, hear how crappy I sound. On this thing. Hey, everybody, check out Field Initiative Knives if you get a chance. They are uh, sponsoring our show and uh, make great, great hardware. Carry my Field Initiative everywhere I go. Remember, if you uh, sharpen your knife with a wedding stone, get it wet. Uh, that's not why they call it a wedding stone, but it'll keep shards of metal and stone from getting inhaled into your body. Also, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com, uh, creative-writing.com on the uh, the internets. 
And uh, on all the social medias, the at Creative Writing Podcast, except for Twitter, where we are at Creative underscore Writer. And on Reddit, we are at Creative underscore Writing. Do not just go to Creative Writing on Reddit or you'll be in for an X-rated surprise. All right, everybody. Uh, get your hair cut. Bye.